Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your co-hosts are Ronnie Langer-Kroger and Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is your host. Hello, I'm your co-host, Thomas Rosenberg, and welcome to the show. Since the 1930s, we've measured economic progress and success by gross national product, GNP, or gross domestic product, GDP. Both of these are systems of national accounts, and they are really just the sum of all the income generated and the value of services sold nationally, even if the products weren't made within, within national borders. So in other words, GDP measures the national the income and the number of times that money changes hands. The more money changes hands, the higher GDP is. But this doesn't measure the level of benefit of a given exchange, how equitably that income might be distributed, or account for any impacts of that economic activity beyond national income. As a result, other measurements of economic growth and well-being have been developed. For instance, the circular economy may be one of the examples you've heard of, and that attempts to recraft the economy into something akin to an ecosystem where wastes of one sector are feedstocks for another. And this approach could be taken from either a biomimicry or cradle-to-cradle perspective. There's also the sharing economy, where we not only share underutilized resources like cars, bikes, and tools, but also jobs. The nonprofit Redefining Progress created the Genuine Progress Indicator, GPI. And GPI measures how well citizens are doing based on economic, health, social, and environmental factors. In other words, if GDP were gross earnings... GPI would be net earnings, revenue minus costs. The UN created its own metric called the UN Human Development Index, and there are others. About 10 years ago, the Kingdom of Bhutan pioneered a framework called Gross National Happiness. It's based on four pillars, sustainable and equitable social economic development, conservation of the environment, preservation and promotion of culture, and good governance. One of the criticisms that it received was that these four pillars might be hard to measure quantitatively. As a result, Bhutan used the following nine proxies that have quantitative assessments. Standard of living, health of the population, education, ecosystem vitality and diversity, cultural vitality and diversity, time use and balance, good governance, community vitality, and emotional well-being. Today's show is about community building and what unifies us. My guests and I are going to explore gross national happiness and what they've learned talking to thousands of people across the U.S. Both my guests are from the nonprofit Gross National Happiness USA. Ginny Sassaman is co-founder and president. Paula Francis is co-founder, vice president, and chief happiness officer. Ginny and Paula, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. That was a fabulous introduction. Loved it. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you. So, Jenny, let's jump right in. Could you share with us what Gross National Happiness USA is and how the organization came into existence? Sure, very happy to. So, um, GNH USA came into existence um, thanks to Bhutan and the example that Bhutan set, uh, one of our other co-founders, Linda Wheatley, had been to a um, conference, an international conference in Bhutan in 2008, 
And she returned to Vermont, uh, where I am and where Paula uh, has lived um, a lot of her life as well. And uh, Linda was really eager to bring gross national happiness as a concept to the United States. And as a concept that the people could be involved in, not just um, economists. So she really was eager to have the first ever G&H conference here in the United States and talk to others of us who got on board. And as part of planning that conference, which we did have in 2010, the first G&H conference in the United States, we also set about forming an organization so that we could help build a movement um, to both educate the public, educate policymakers, and help provide an answer, like you were talking about, an answer to the need to move away from GDP and G&H. So today, we're a national organization um, with board members from coast to coast. Um, we have a variety of projects to, um, to again, to both to keep educating the public about the, um, that this concept is even, um, uh, it, it exists. I mean, to, most people still don't know about gross national happiness. Most people do know that GDP is not serving our needs anymore, that that this relentless consumerism is is killing the planet and killing our souls, too. So we're working really hard both to educate the public and policymakers and also on multiple levels to collect data um, about what it is that truly leads to the well-being of all people um, and animals and future generations um, so a large part of what the happiness walk and what Paula is doing and those of us who've gotten to join the walk with Paula for a while, that's one of the tools that we're using to collect data. Mm, awesome. So, Paula, I mentioned in my intro a few of the other assessment systems besides GDP, and I was curious what attracted you to gross national happiness over other options. When I heard about gross national happiness, it's a concept that just struck me. It's something that makes sense. If the purpose and meaning of life is to be happy, it just seems like we ought to be paying attention to that and, you know, pointing our North Star in that direction. So I'm not quite certain where we will land as a nation in terms of what we will ultimately measure. Um, what the walk is showing us right now is maybe that there are some indicators that um, are unique to the United States that matter to the people that live and work and play here um, that are different from this small, uh, tiny Buddhist country in the Himalayas. So part of the walk is about finding out what those things are that truly matter in the lives of people here, so that those are the things that we ultimately measure, infuse in our practices, and include in our policies. So uh, Vermont, by the way, um, is a 
state, the first state to actually um, incorporate into law that the um, expanded measures ought to be considered when the governor creates his budget. And they use these expanded measures of happiness and well-being and creating the economic development plan for the state. So there are examples where there are um, other measures being used in Vermont. It's a, a variation of the GPI measures uh, that are um, unique to what Vermont considers to matter most. So we're just looking at... Um, that example and wanting to share that work with other places around the country and and figure out, you know, what are common values um, across uh, all the states in all populations so that we can start um, comparing, you know, state to state, community to community. Mm-hmm. So that actually well, that raises at least two questions in my mind, Paula. One is, what are those additional uh, dimensions or or characteristics? If they're taken from the GPI, I'd be curious that to hear more about that that Vermont is using right now, and you know why prompted Vermont to to pick it up. And, and incorporated well, into the budget budget process. Uh, we, I, I would like to think that um, Gross National Happiness USA was a part of that. You know, a lot of us, um, the, the genesis of GNH USA uh, started in, in Vermont. And there, you know, we did some um, advocating for using expanded measures, and it wasn't as though... It was the first time that um, Vermont had been part of, you know, this thinking wasn't new to Vermont, just like it's not really new to a lot of places around the country. Um, I, I think we, it's a wave that had been started uh, decades ago, and we were just um, successful to be able to, to bring that into fruition in Vermont. There are places in Maryland, for example, where they use expanded measures of well-being. There are um, around the country, uh, Santa Monica in California, Seattle, Washington, that are, are really working to incorporate these measures into uh, their practices. So it's, it's something like you had mentioned earlier, it's, it's um, something that the United Nations is also encouraging countries around um, the globe to be paying attention to. And if, if I could uh, jump in to say one of the advantages of starting this organization in Vermont, you know, Vermont is a small state with a small population. Um, in some ways, we're we're not too dissimilar from Bhutan, but we're a we're a progressive state, and we're because of our size, because we know our um, we know our representatives and our senators by on, on the state level. We we know them as our friends and as our neighbors. It's possible to be more of a lab in Vermont and to try out new ideas and to try out 
uh, new policies. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense that Vermont might be the first state to pass these expanded indicators. And we also felt as an organization that it was important to move the message uh, beyond Vermont and uh, try to reach the the broader uh, United States with this with this example. Mm-hmm. And I also want to add that one example that uh, that didn't arise from the Happiness Walk, but an example of something that might. It's given me at least pause in thinking that maybe this is an area where we need to expand the domains from the nine um, original ones from Bhutan that you listed at the start of the program. And that was I was at a conference in Vermont and talking about the domains and one of the other people at the conference who's with an organization called uh, Local Futures um, the Economics of Happiness, which is an international group. But he questioned me because he thought that um, our metrics were still um, very human-centric. And he felt strongly that we should be valuing um, animal well-being for the sake of animals, not just for whatever humans can can get out of animals which I think actually most of us agree but with. And so that just made me wonder, well, huh, should animal well-being in this country be its own separate domain? So that's part of the, you know, the kind of thing that we need to explore as we go forward. And, and of course, that is something that we are paying attention to. In fact, one of um, our board members has written a paper about it animals and happiness and their well-being. So it's part of the holistic view that um, uh, we, we um, hold together. Fascinating. I, will, I want to circle back to some of those topics in a, in a few moments, but I was curious because I noticed on your website that your route also included walking into part of Quebec, and, and so you went north, I think, originally, right, to and you walked into Canada. And so I was curious what other countries have explored using gross national happiness in addition to Bhutan. And, you know, do you know what some of the reasons why they chose that, uh, chose gross national happiness over say the UN Human Development Index or any of the others? Well, there there are, do you want to go ahead, Paula? Go ahead. So there are some economists in uh, Nova Scotia who have been working on um, these indicators for quite a while. In fact, um, they have been working as consultants uh, with the Bhutanese to help the Bhutanese develop what that G&H system looks like. There are explorations in a, a lot of other countries. There's been an international conference on gross national happiness in Brazil. Um, there is someone working on these issues uh, in Bali. Um, we've talked with a woman who is trying to raise up the GNH profile in South Africa. Um, I'm not aware of any other countries that have enacted the GNH 
a framework as yet other than uh, Bhutan. But I think that a lot of other countries and municipalities are considering this as an option. Um, And I think part of it is because um, happiness is happiness is what all humans want so it's it's you know it's the ultimate currency so it's a word that speaks to every to, that speaks to everyone and also you know it's just a framework so some of the other systems that you mentioned like a sharing economy could certainly fit within a gnh framework you know it's mm-hmm. not all the answers to everything it just gives us a better roadmap to go forward and to incorporate other other systems that also really embody our values and really our humanity. Uh, I think that that's a really good point. You know, just being able to take a step back and and question why we're using a certain metric, why we're we've come to certain decisions or certain crossroads, and say, okay, is this really how we want to live? And if not, how can we improve that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, in, the, in that. Go ahead, Paula. In, this is, is, I think, why the walk came into being because there are these measures out there uh, that people are using, but we wanted to make sure we that we were when we're promoting these expanded measures that we were promoting things that people really cared about and that really um, mattered most of people. So through this walk, which has now gone over 5,000 miles um, in the United States, is we're asking the question, what does matter most in life? So we're, we're out there talking to people and uh, trying to figure out what those common values are that we can uphold in our practices and our policies. And it does say... Um, a common platform to start talking about some of the more critical issues. We're speaking with Jenny Sassaman and Paula Francis from Gross National Happiness USA. We'll be right back after a short break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit Regenerate.coach. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Jenny Sassaman and Paula Francis from Gross National Happiness USA. We were talking about what inspired them to establish the organization, what other countries and municipalities have adopted gross national happiness in various ways, and also what's driving their work. So, Paula, you were mentioning just before the break that, you know, some of getting out on the walk was really what you found important in terms of deciding what would be the common factors, not just in Vermont, but across the country, that we could use as a as a nation to to build the a gross national happiness framework for ourselves. Could you talk a little bit more about the genesis of just getting out and starting the walk and also just where you've been and where you're going in terms of, of states and, and the route and, and why you chose that route in particular? So back in uh, 2008, 2009, when we... Um in Vermont, all became pretty inspired by the work in Bhutan. We knew at that time that we couldn't just adopt what was happening in this um, tiny little Himalayan country and assume that all the things that they are doing over there made sense here in the United States. So we wanted to know what is uniquely important in the United States that we really ought to be measuring to um, understand the conditions that support our happiness and well-being. So those are the things that we end up measuring. Well, we didn't have the answer to that. So it just made sense to to get out and start asking people um, that question. What, what should we be measuring? What are the things that really... Um, create the condition as, uh, conditions of happiness and well-being in your life. So we ended up, um, Jeannie mentioned the co-founder, another co-founder, Linda Wheatley, and I got on the road in 2012 and started asking that question. And we decided that we would just take a, a walk from Vermont down to Washington, D.C., and... Um, you know, start doing just a little bit of research. And that was all that we were going to do at that time. But I'll tell you, we got pretty serious about happiness in that walk. It was just a a truly inspiring um, event in my life because the conversations that we had with people were pretty profound, and I was not expecting that. Um, This was a conversation that was 
that it became clear very early on that we needed to have in the United States because a lot of people were saying that they haven't even stopped in their life to be thinking about this important question. So from that seven-week walk, we decided that we were going to continue going around the United States asking those questions. Um, but, you know, back then, we each had jobs and... You know, we were volunteering with this organization. We had young families and, and other commitments. So we skipped walks into our life, you know, one week here, four weeks there, um, until it became clear this is something that we needed to do full-time. And since that, since then, Linda has um, found um, that she is more tied back to, the, to Vermont, and I ended up doing walking. So that walk from Vermont down to Washington, D.C. became a walk down to Jacksonville, Florida, and then west along the Gulf Coast, and then across Texas, and then over to L.A., and I just recently came back a few days ago from walking from Santa Monica, California, all the way up to Petaluma, and uh, the collecting thousands of stories from people and having people share their the great wisdom that, you know, we have in this country about the things that really, truly matter in life. It's been a phenomenal experience, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. How are you uh, engaging people in this journey, do you notify folks that you'll be entering their town ahead of time, or how how do you set up public meetings, or do you just sort of show up and have impromptu interviews? All of that. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> so when I, um, I'll start planning the route. Um, you know, it's not easy walking across the United States. It's not yeah. always a pedestrian-friendly place sometimes. So you have to be careful about, you know, you know, track, you know, uh, planning out a route, figuring out how far you can walk in a day, um, determining where the populations are of people that you, you want to talk to. And, and a part of, part of the walk is also uncovering some of the very creative um, things that are happening around the country that are creating those conditions of well-being. So when we know of such places and um, organizations and we, we um, set up meetings to meet those people and learn more so that we can promote their work. So it's, a, it's really a combination, but mostly it's about uncovering things as you go along. And, and if I can add here, um, I want to note first that well, Paula is is totally the lead and walking champion. There are, um, I think, over fifty or maybe higher than that now. Uh, other people who have joined in the walk, sometimes for a couple of hours, sometimes for a, a couple of weeks, and um, 
so there it, it's so there's a group of people uh, usually just one or two maybe three at a time but um that are part of the walk and i I also want to say that one of, to me, and I've gotten to join Paula for four of the segments so far, Um, have another one planned in the spring, Um, but one of the key aspects of the walk is something that I think would, would make us all a lot happier and does not happen often enough in our culture, and that is the fine art of listening. And when we go into whatever community, when we meet whoever we meet, and it could be a waitress or it could be um, somebody who just sees us walking on the road with our vests on and stops to ask what this is all about. I mean, it could be anybody. But we don't ever try to say, this is what we believe needs to happen. This is what we think you should do, or we want your money, or we're pulling you, or anything. We just, with all of our, in a very open-hearted and open-minded way, ask people these deep and important questions. What matters most to you in life? And as Paula said, many people haven't thought about that question, but also people don't get listened to enough. So there's an opening that happens there, and there's Mm -hmm. a trust building, and we get to hear um, stories from people who otherwise in life we might not ever talk to, we might not ever know what really matters to them as humans, and um, to me, it's it's a really a, a beautiful process. We talk often about how there um, we experience what researcher Barbara Fredrickson calls microbursts of love. It's like we mm-hmm. fall in love with the people we're interviewing, and, mm-hmm. and I think they love us back. And there's just this amazing, amazing connection which is beautiful in its own right. It also helps us gather this incredibly valuable information. And it also provides hope that um, we do share really common values. Um, Paula has walked through like any and every kind of voting district and socioeconomic and race and religion, wherever we all share the same basic human values. And so the, this listening um, allows that connection to happen and provides hope that while we may seem very divided as a country right now, we don't actually have to be. We can find ways to come together and we can find ways to move forward um, that will help all of us be happier. And, and I would also add to that too, if, and thank you, Jenny, that was a, a good description of what happens on the road. And, and a lot of people do come back and want to walk more because they are finding that sense of connection on the walk that um, we tend to, to miss in, in our busy lives um, back home sometimes. Um, but in addition to, to that, I think the, the hope factor is, is really high in the United States. And, you would, and, and this was a surprise mm-hmm. to me. 
quite honestly, I, people have hope in humanity. Um, if we stop and reflect on all the wonderful things that are going on in this country, all the, the wonderful gifts people do bring to, into our communities, um, and, and we tend not to look at that. We tend to look at the things that are upsetting or um, not working well. But I, I think it's an important thing for us to start doing is looking at what is right and uh, what are the the the, um, the the moments that are, are worth savoring in, in this life, and we don't often look at that. Uh, well, thank you both for for very eloquent answers. I was very curious. What are some of the common? I don't want to say necessarily measures, but the the common themes that you have come up with in terms of what unifies us because this is really talking about what at the foundation can be a a very powerful conversation around community building absolutely absolutely yes and and that's such an important question thomas and it's one that we want answered for sure uh we can only speak to that in terms of um what we uh, since we're hearing right now, we're in the process of analyzing all of this data, and we'll have the hard data soon to share with folks. But the things that we're, we're hearing really are not all um, that surprising, that our relationships matter, of mm-hmm. course, our family and our friends. But beyond that, we're hearing the second most common thing is that what really matters most in life is to take care of one another. Now, think about what might be different in our lives and in our communities and in, even in our nation if we were to make that the basis of how we make decisions in our communities, the taking care of one another and not just people that are like us, that believe the same way, the same thing, um, but everybody. And, and in, including, you know, what Jenny was mentioning earlier, the animals in our environment. And mm-hmm. these are things that people say truly, truly do, um, you know, resonate with them as the most important things to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we also ask on this trip is uh, what people are already doing in their lives that are aligned with their values so that they can recognize that they're making a contribution to our um, community well-being. You know, that's an important thing to recognize. The other thing is, what could we do, be doing better? Mm-hmm. So we really do ask that people take some sort of action, and it doesn't have to be a huge step, but it has to be a step forward. You know, so... It could be a simple thing, like um, looking in a stranger's eyes and seeing them, truly seeing, and as Jenny said, listening, being a good listener. Or it could be something um, much bigger than that. And uh, some of the examples that we've uncovered are people that recognize the situation of homelessness and uh, create... um, foundations that actually build homes, sustainable homes for them. This was an example 
in Almagorda, uh, New Mexico, we came across. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there's a, a woman that I met recently in Malibu whose son had died a tragic death, and she took her grief and she turned it into a foundation to help others through media uh, create some positive change through telling stories. So, I mean, I could, I could tell example after example of people who just um, use their gifts and their talents to create positive change in our communities. And I think these are stories worth telling because uh, if you're sitting there in a state of despair and hopelessness, to hear somebody somebody else's um, story of actually taking action and, and making change, even in the smallest ways, I think helps us together to move forward and um, be hopeful that we, we together can, can really um, move this country in a direction that supports uh, collective happiness. Mm-hmm. That, that reminds me of the, the Swahili word Ujima or Ujima, which mm-hmm. I think translates as collective participation and responsibility. We have to take oh, a short break that. and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Is your community on a journey to build consensus or define a vision for the future? Do you want your organization and people to flourish? Are you feeling burnt out or seeking guidance to leave old patterns of thinking and being behind? Thomas Rosenberg has international experience in change leadership, consensus building, and organizational transformation. He guides leaders and change makers, their organizations and communities on their journeys of transformation. For more information and to contact him, visit Regenerate.coach. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back to Envision. We are speaking with 
Jenny Sassaman and Paula Francis from Gross National Happiness USA. So uh, you mentioned earlier, Jenny, that in the, in the previous segment that you were about, I think it was you, Jenny, about the, the data you're sort of compiling that information and you'll be releasing some of the insights that you've garnered through the walk thus far soon. But I was curious, you know, you're working with the University of Vermont Center for Rural Studies, and I know that some of that is partly for the surveys you've done in Vermont, but I'm curious what what data, what have you compiled, What what's, and, and uh, how does that correlate with what you've heard on the road, even though you don't have necessarily final uh, quantitative data to, to share? Well, actually, I wanted to drop back and I, I, I want to get to that data, but I wanted to drop back and say one other thing about the walk and kind sure. of what we don't hear. So <clears throat> Paula has probably heard this a little bit more than I have, um, but in my 300 miles or so, I only heard one person say that what mattered most to her was uh, money, uh, so money or material well-being. But in this particular case, this was a lovely young woman who was working as a waitress in a diner in rural Louisiana, but she quickly explained that the money was important, not for its own sake, but that she she wanted money so she could provide quality uh, growing up and particularly a good education for her children. So even though she said money, it was really money as a tool to accomplish something else of uh, greater value to her. Mm-hmm. So um, I did want to point that out because Sometimes it may seem like our uh, society places such emphasis on the material gain, and yet when you ask people, that is not what 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 they say. Um, so the data the data that we have right now, um, I wanted to say that there is a way for all of your listeners to participate in this data collection, whether or not they're on the happiness walk route. And that is if you go to our website, which is very easy, it's gnhusa.org, there is a survey, very quick, easy survey that people can take so people can... um, uh, indicate their own views on what matters most in life to them and be part of our uh, data collection. Um, also, we have also on our website a charter for happiness, which um, people can sign. So at some point, we would like to be able to accumulate enough signatures to show the broad support for a new paradigm and for some some economic um, policy-making framework that emphasizes well-being. So those are two steps that any listener to this program can take. Um, Some of the other data, we have worked with an organization which is based in Seattle, the Happiness Alliance, um, slash Happy Counts, and they have been collecting people's um, responses, um, uh, asking questions that fit within the Bhutan 10 uh, 
actually it's the Bhutan has the nine domains, but they added another one, which is work um, work life balance, I think. But anyway, there are there are ten domains, and so Happy Counts Happiness Alliance has uh, gathered about fifty thousand responses to that survey, and they periodically release an analysis of what they have uncovered so far. So that's another um, page to to go to. What has been found through both the, the Happiness uh, Alliance data and also here in Vermont, we just finished, we, GNH USA, as part of a statewide collaborative that also includes the Center for Rural uh, Studies here in Vermont um, and other partners here in Vermont, um, one of the areas that we have found that happiness scores, uh, self-reported happiness scores lower is, you know, not surprising, trust in government does not, um, that's definitely an area where we need to do some work. Not mm-hmm. much of a surprise, but um, we, we're not doing so well in our relationship with our, with our governance right now. The 2000, so we did in Vermont did that data collection in both 2013 and again in 2017. And that report is, there's a a link on our website to the almost finalized version, but that's being finalized for release soon. Um, And that report found that Vermonters on the whole, are fairly happy. And that, that data also used specifically the G&H framework with the, de- right. with the uh, domains. Fascinating. So if, uh, okay, that's very helpful. So what, how would people, how could people perhaps start to use either this report or other resources uh, to start a conversation for themselves locally, what would you recommend? Well, there's, there's one tool that we also have on the website um, that people can do very locally, like in their um, living rooms or maybe in their community centers, and that is we um, encourage people to have happiness dinners and to ask these questions um, in a smaller group and collect that data and report that data back to us. Um, On the bigger picture level, um, another one of our board members, Michael Mosier, who is the lead author, our our main data guy, um, Michael would love to work with people uh, anywhere who is interested in using this particular tool, um, this particular metric. He would like to get it out there. And um, so I would say that anybody who wants to do that can contact us through you, and there may be a way that we can work with folks and get this metric out to them. Um, okay. So there's a couple so of they, options. Sure. Would they, would they go through – do you have a contact form on your website? We do. Okay. We do. So that might be the easiest way for them to contact Michael directly? It, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. We would also encourage people who just have, 
who have an interest in this concept of bringing these expanded measures into their local communities to be in touch with us. There are folks around the nation that are pulling together and creating uh, local pods and local chapters to figure out how to um, make sure that their communities are focused on those things that bring uh, the conditions of happiness and well-being into their lives. So um, for anybody out there that is more that has an interest in learning more about that, I suggest that they also contact us through the website. Okay, that yes, would be super. You mentioned earlier that there were that Maryland as a state was doing some things as well as uh, some municipalities like Santa Monica, California. So I was curious what other if you could just list a few others that are also actively doing chapters or or perhaps something even more in depth already in their communities on a budgeting basis that I, I think that would be fascinating to know. This isn't on the on the budgeting level, but this is um, I was just in Wisconsin last week and met with a group of just I would have to say regular, ordinary, normal people for whom, just like with Paula and with me, the concept of gross national happiness had an immediate resonance, so too did it do with this group of people. Um, And so we had our first coming together as a group, and this uh, group in Wisconsin, some of the people knew each other, some of them didn't. they are starting to get together to plan uh, a GNH conference um, in Wisconsin, probably in the spring of 2019. So too early for them to be taking it to their policymakers, but they want to really raise up the issue in as big a way as they can um, in in their state as as the next step. Super. Super. And we'd love to see more of that. And there, you know, anybody who wants to dive in, I'd love to uh, work with those folks and meet with those folks. Because this need to me, and it's Paula, I mean, this is a, this is a movement. We have a ways to go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we want to go. We want to we move forward with this happy, hopeful, and yet practical um, uh, path to a sustainable future. Mm-hmm. And, and everything that I've heard from your story and the videos that I've seen on your, your website, it sounds like oh, pretty much everybody that you've encountered seems to resonate with this. Across the board, across the board, it's, it's not surprising maybe um, that it would have that reaction, but it to others, but it was to me. <laughs> and, um, you know, as, as the years go by, I think we're just hearing a lot more, I mean, about happiness. You, you know, there are lots of books on the shelves these days about happiness, but people actually are um, understanding this concept of um, community being measures of more these days as I walk through communities than in the past year. So it's definitely a concept that's, that's caught on and people are interested in exploring more and more. Mm-hmm. It, it's very hopeful. 
Super. So you mentioned the website earlier. How else can people follow GNH USA's story? Well, what we do... We do have a Twitter account, which is at GNHUSA. Paula also posts for the walk. Paula, you want to give that information? Uh, so there's there's Facebook, um, Facebook and Twitter and um, Instagram. So if you just check out Happiness Walk US or USA. You'll be able to follow the walk and actually listen to some of the interviews that take place along the way. They're they're pretty amazing to to listen to. So you're you're posting the actual audio of the video, or is it is it video that you're posting? Um, there there are a couple of different ways that we collect the data. As we said, there's a survey tool, but um, we also collect audio. Lately, we've been doing a lot more videos. So what you'll see on, on Facebook are the raw footage of mm-hmm. the, the videos that we take that we will ultimately turn into a documentary. Um, so there'll be more of me fine later on, but it, it's pretty um, pretty neat to see people reaction to that that question and awesome. we, we have also we have two facebook connections which is perhaps a little confusing but one is a facebook page which anybody can like and then just get everything that we post but we also have a facebook group which people can join and then post themselves so on the facebook group page we have ongoing um, conversations that people will post various things or jump right in in a conversation about something that maybe one of the rest of us posts. In fact, that is how um, we connected with one of the women in um, Wisconsin who was part of the Facebook group, and and her writing was such that I, you know, sent her a private message and got in touch. It was like, sounds like you really want to be more involved, and she did, and so that you know, one thing led to another. So there's various ways to, you know, not only follow what we have to write and what we have to say, but also um, share your own thoughts and your own visions and your own um, connections. And our blog site, um, serious, we call it Serious About Happiness, we take guest posts as well if they're related to this general topic of gross national happiness. So people, if they want to write something, that's also an option. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Paula and Jenny. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you. Feel free to reach out to them with questions through the social media channels they mentioned. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. For more information about today's guests and upcoming shows, please see our show page on voiceamerica.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.